He has been a champion for higher education and small businesses. And now this week's guest is advocating for the homeless and championing affordable housing. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Yes. Where did you go to school? Oh, college? I went to St. Michael's College over in Winooski, Vermont, right near Burlington. These people are wondering, like, where the heck is Winooski? Did you study journalism? I did. You know, I'm one of those few people among my group of friends that actually went in for, you know, his major, came out with the same major, Uh and is still working in that field. You are one of those few, yeah. I know. (laughs) Lack of growth, maybe. No, no. Expansion of who you are as a human being and a professional. I love it. I love it. But yeah, yeah. I went to a journalism program there and just fell in love with it more and started me on my career to poverty. I love it. But to your career to poverty. Oh my goodness. Well, you're doing good work. You're doing good work. How did you find it? How did, why like St. Michael's versus, um, anywhere else yeah well i went to a small high school so i was used to you know small class sizes and such and so i had looked at a few different programs um you know including unh and unh is a great school and the only thing that veered me away from that is my parents went to unh and so we were on the tour and of course the one of the stops they made was into one of my mom's old dorms and she just had this like oh no flood of memories come forth from her and she was excitedly telling <laughs> the entire whole group about and i saw the next 4 years of my life ahead of me i went nope <laughs> nope no so no. uh you know St. Mike's kind of ticked off a lot of great boxes for cool. me and it had a great program it was um you know a small campus so i felt like i could you know really get to know get to know myself and other people there nice. better that's, than like a big one. How about you? Just it. Uh, I was one of those people who went to school for something and um, didn't end up, you know, with the the intended major in the beginning. So I went to Daniel Webster College, Nashua, New Hampshire, oh. prior to its acquisition and demise. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> our guest is laughing. Will is laughing because he knows the demise. Um, but no, I went to I, I went with in the intention of becoming a commercial pilot. Uh, I had flown and take flight flight lessons when I was a kid and I was a teenager in high school. And I said, I love aviation and I wanted to do that. I had no idea that that was one of your aspirations, that you could have been one of those guys that clicked on like, this I'm is a, your captain. This is your captain speaking. So you've got yeah, the captain's right, voice. I have the captain's <laughs> voice, but I just didn't have the desire after being there a year. I said to myself... I'm involved in a really, a lot of cool stuff. Like you said, I was finding who I was, you know, because at 18, I had no idea, but I was finding who I was and I was doing a lot of cool stuff and I was involved in um, like student activities and event planning and I was getting to know people and I was like big man on campus and it all felt really great. And I said, oh, but I don't really enjoy the whole um, you know, get, going to the airport, which was right next door, but still going and, and doing that. And just, I didn't enjoy it, but I did really enjoy the sort of operations type related work that I was doing. And, but the cool, th- so the cool thing is I was able to switch majors in my second year to business management and stay there with the community that I built and, you know, that comfort level and all that. Um, and then, you know, graduated, I don't know, however many years later it took, but, um, it was, you know, and that, and that's me. So um, may nice. it may it rest in peace. Aww. But it served me well while while I was there. So yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, so 
as we say, another rabbit hole here on Discast NH. <laughs> you know, we could talk about ourselves all day, but that's not why we're here. We are here, however, to introduce this week's guest. Will Dolfo Will Arvello is executive director of Crossroads House in Portsmouth. In his prior role, Will served as director of the Division of Economic Development for New Hampshire. He served for 33 years in leadership positions within higher education at public and private colleges in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and New York, including here in New Hampshire as president of Great Bay Community College. He was chosen as Citizen of the Year by the Portsmouth Chamber in 2012, and in 2018, he was awarded an honorary doctorate of humane letters by Granite State College. He's also founder and chair of the Business Alliance for the People of Color. Will, it's really great to have you. Thank you, Nathan. Really great to be here. Awesome. Thank you for the invitation. Well, it's, it's our pleasure. We, we uh, are glad you're here. And we, I think we have so much to unpack because you have such an interesting background professionally and personally. Um, so if you were to give, I do this with a lot of people, I, I say to them, if you were to give your elevator pitch, you know, who, who are you and, and what makes Will Arvello tick? Because you've done a lot of different things from state level to education and, and now with your work with Crossroads House, who are you? What makes you tick? What makes me tick is my passion for building community, helping people, um, helping businesses, um, really helping to build a the kind of the future state of the state of New Hampshire. Um, and, and there's a lot to that um, in my involvement, both in, in education, um, in helping businesses figure out some of the challenges they face, mm. but also now even working with the homeless um, is it the way t- I tie, you know, people ask me the question, well, how does all of that come together? And it's just, well, it comes together. If you think about it, it it's about, Again, helping people and building community, mm-hmm. and so any anything along those lines um, is very appealing to me. And you know, kind of my education is is um, I have three degrees from UMass Boston. Nice. My first one, my bachelor's was in history, so mm-hmm. I was one of those kids that couldn't figure out what to do. Um, therefore, I ended up in history, which has been a love of mine all my life. But uh, uh, master's in public administration and a doctorate in 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 uh, educational leadership. Wow! Um, so I didn't want people to think that the honorary degree I got at Granite State was the, was the why doctor. You were calling no, yourself I actually doctor. I did yeah. I did actually did a dissertation. So you did the you did the work, my friend. <laughs> I did the work. Nice. But uh, yeah, so it it's for me it always comes back to how do we make a better world. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell me, um, in that same vein, with Crossroads House, uh, tell us a little bit more about that organization and and how, in that case, you are helping the organization and and the folks that utilize its its space and its services. How are you making a better world through Crossroads House? So we we when I took that job, um, I I was thinking, you know, how do we put ourselves out of business because. You know, we we are fortunate to live in the greatest, most wealthy country in the world, and yet we have deep issues like homelessness mm-hmm. um, throughout the United States. And certainly in New Hampshire, we're not uh, immune from that. And and uh, on the seacoast, Portsmouth, uh, um, particularly in Portsmouth, in the Portsmouth area, um, Crossroads House has been part of that community f- since 1982. Um, wow. So there's been homelessness for a for a long time on the seacoast, and when I talk about the seacoast, I talk about uh, from the southern 
part of New Hampshire bordering on Massachusetts to, um, we actually serve some folks up in Southern Maine as well. We go up to Rochester and, and wow. Epping so that mm -hmm. it's a fairly large swath of the state mm -hmm. uh, where there's a large, fairly large population. And we, um, uh, Crossroads House, you know, when, when you think about homelessness, you think of a shelter, which we are. Mm -hmm. So we give people a bed to sleep on, we give them food, but if we serve both individuals and families. We typically, um, pre-pandemic, we were housing about 100 people per night. Mm -hmm. um, we house about 12 families and um, about 60 individuals per night. Um, but that's just part of what we do. Mm -hmm. well, one of the things we do is we work with individuals over time to get them back into housing. And it's not just a matter of finding housing and putting them in housing. It's right. a matter of uh, assigning a case management to them so that they can be, they can learn all the things they need to learn mm. and be supported in to get into housing and maintain housing. Right. Because a lot of times what happens with folks is that they, we, we get into a revolving door. We, yeah. If they get into housing and they don't have the support services, they're going to end up back right. uh, uh, homeless. Right. And we don't want that. Right. If you don't teach them to fish. For example, yeah, yeah, and you know the the one thing that I've learned about working in the homelessness space mm -hmm. is that we all think of folks that are homeless as we we have a kind of a profile in our heads about w what they are, and I will tell you that most of us are wrong when we look about when we look to who 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 are the homeless. What does that profile look like? Mm -hmm. So, in the case of of Crossroads House. A lot of our uh, homeless population are elderly, disabled, and people who have just fallen in hard times. Mm. Um, and amongst those, yes, we have families. Uh, we have um, people with mental and, and uh, substance abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, issues, but that is that is. I, I think sometimes we think that that's the profile, and that's that's not the profile. Mm. I mean, and these are people who many of them get up in the morning. They have jobs. They go to work, and they try to make uh, make it work. Mm -hmm. But um, in our economy today, uh, and I always bring it back to the economy because sure. I think the economy yes. does just doesn't work for a lot of people, right. and that's part of the issue that. Mm -hmm. There are people who are really trying hard as best they can. They just don't make enough to pay the rent, to buy food, mm. to, to pay for daycare, and all the other things that we normally take for granted, that mm. we have enough income and we can, and we can cover our expenses. Um, you know, we have individuals that make twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, uh, uh, and and that typically on a seacoast is nowhere near enough to pay for all the things that need to be covered. And, and as a result, uh, something has to give. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in New Hampshire, we're one of the wealthiest states in the country, and and then when you look at the seacoast, that's one of the wealthiest areas of the state. Um, you know, I I, I think. We don't see we're able to hide poverty and homelessness much more in the state. It just doesn't appear necessarily in everybody's life. They're not necessarily seeing the problem. And so there can be a perception that the problem isn't that bad in New Hampshire. Um, what has been the prevalence of homelessness? and um, has it you know has the issue worsened during the pandemic or made your mission more difficult during the pandemic? What are some of the challenges you're finding to having to meet your mission and how you're overcoming them? So the 
New Hampshire does have a significant homeless problem, and it depends on how you count the numbers. So, for example, um, there are estimates that there are over 15,000 homeless youth in the state of New Hampshire. Now, they're not out on the streets, so you don't see them. Right. They're couch surfing, and um, uh, a lot of them. And, and then we have, um, again, it, it depends on, on what you read and who you talk to, but we have certainly thousands of people who are homeless across the state. Um, and there are those who are out on the street. You know, they're, they're intense. They're, they're the long-term homeless. Um, and then we have individuals um, that are temporary, temporarily homeless. Mm-hmm. And we, we see a lot of those folks. They end up homeless. They, a lot of times, will come and be with us for a week or several weeks or several months. They, they get back on their feet and they go on with their lives. We have um, a lot of folks uh, because of the, the housing bottleneck um, that have to be with us year, two years, sometimes, uh, sometimes a little bit more, particularly families. It's really hard to place families because um, a lot of times they require larger places, you know, two, three, four bedrooms, depending on the size of the family. And, and of course, those are more expensive places mm-hmm. and they're harder to find. Right. And um, so, yeah, the, the homelessness issue is significant. It's not going away. Um, right now, we know that if you look at the Tri-City area uh, on the seacoast, Rochester, Dover, and Summersworth, mm-hmm. they, they're they having some challenges because um, they don't have a, a, a shelter, a permanent shelter like Crossroads House is. Um, so Crossroads House does serve, serve those areas as well, but... Um, um, you know the issue is significant, so they've had to open a, a what we call a warming shelter mm-hmm. um, to allow folks to come in out of the cold, particularly on really really cold nights, um, so that we don't have people dying out and uh, um, because of because of weather. Yeah, and that's um, so. Those are you know those are some of the issues. But I, but I will tell you that, and I don't know if you're going to get to the housing question at some point. But the the the, the housing piece is really really. Something that, um, as a state, we have to pay attention to because it not only impacts the homeless. You know, we, we're we're talking about how do we keep, sustain our workforce um, in New Hampshire and attract additional workforce which we need. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's an important piece. So, in I mean, in that vein, you're, let's jump right in there. I mean, so we'll talk affordable housing. You mentioned, you know, folks who may still be homeless but have a job and are are quote unquote contributing. I hate to you know say it in that way, but um, that they just can't afford uh, in this economy all of these different expenses, especially if they have a family. So, affordable housing, which I, I, thankfully I think more people understand that this isn't you know. It isn't terrible conditions and this and that. It is indeed housing created in a way that is therefore affordable for families and individuals. Um, but in communities, there seems to be some divisiveness around this and, and, and zoning and, and uh, building affordable housing and whatnot and that we've seen some different um, you know perspectives that aren't so great, honestly. And, and I wonder if you can speak to um, what, perhaps why you feel that concept of affordable housing and ac- accepting that as part of and a, a successful community is not as widely accepted. 
To be honest with you, I've reflected on this, and mm. I, I, for the life of me, I cannot understand why people think that their way of living um, and their way of looking at the, of the, at the world in, in their little communities is the only way to to view things. Right. Um, the, you know, we are in a very wealthy state, but we're not uh, in a state exclusively for wealthy people. Right, and um, if if you want to have healthy communities. Uh, it, it only makes, to me, it makes sense that mm-hmm. you have people at different strata of the the, the socioeconomic um, uh, um, category that sure. that you you have to make places for all of them. And if you want to have businesses that can employ people um, at different so in different wages, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you need to be able to create housing. Mm-hmm. That's going to support that, and right. you know, if you have restaurants and those restaurants hire uh, wait waitresses and and people in the kitchen, mm-hmm. those folks, you know, they also should have places to go to to live. They shouldn't be couch surfing and right. they shouldn't be homeless because they're making less of an income than anybody else in that community, and so. It, to me, it always goes back to what kind of a state do we want to be? What kind of a communities do we want to be? And how do we support that? We cannot be communities exclusively of people that make a uh, hundred thousand plus dollars a year. I mean, mm. we, you know, we need to make space for our police officers, our nurses, our our our, um, and and uh, uh, everybody in between. And so, to me, it that it, I think. If we're going to be competitive as an economy, uh, both in in the United States, in our region, in the United States, and 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 globally, we have to fix this. And uh, in some ways, it's asinine thinking mm-hmm. um, that we can exclude people from our community simply because they come with a lower income, they come possibly with with uh, less education, mm-hmm. which is in many cases not true. Um, you know, uh, what you earn doesn't necessarily define how educated you are, but mm-hmm. um, we need we need to kind of educate people. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, at the municipal level, um, that has to happen mm-hmm. in terms of housing and why we need different kinds of housing and uh, both workforce, but also um, work uh, housing that, that are going to house people who go through these temporary challenges of homelessness. Again, these are not bad people. These no. are people who are going through a difficult time in their lives, mm-hmm. like many of us do. And I would I would say that many of us um, are a few paychecks away from the possibility of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I appreciate your perspective, especially on healthy communities. We'll be right back with Will Arvello. McLean Middleton is a full-service law firm with over 100 attorneys and 25 paralegals throughout its five offices in Manchester, Concord, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, they've been providing exceptional legal services to businesses, individuals, and nonprofit organizations across the region. Visit McLean.com for a complete list of practice areas and attorneys. We're back with Will Arvello. So, Will, you were talking about and touching upon, you know, the stereotypes people hold on who is homeless and, and, um, and you know, the fact that there's 
a, a breadth of people that find themselves in difficult situations at different times of their lives. And it's not something that necessarily has to or needs to define them. Um, and, you know, that's not theoretical for you. You have your own story around this. Do, do you mind sharing that with our listeners? Sure. So, um, I, I mean, my background is I, I, I was born in Puerto Rico and I, and I grew up in New York City and, and um, I grew up in, in pretty, you know, pretty bad poverty. Um, and, um, but I was one of, one, one of those individuals that, um, not that I have mentors or anything, but, you know, some people just kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, uh, luckily for me, I was able to to figure it out, and and, uh, and 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 I've had many experiences in my life. Um, but certainly, at one point in my life, I did find myself homeless, and in Arizona, I, I had uh, I was living in New York at the time, and had decided that I wanted to become a motorcycle mechanic, and headed out to Arizona. Um, to motorcycle maintenance institute in in Phoenix, Arizona, <laughs> and. Uh, um, uh, I had saved a little bit of money, so I was able to rent a place and uh, start school. But at some point, I found myself uh, having spent my savings uh, and um, not being able to pay my rent. And and so I, I, I was locked out of my apartment. I was homeless for about two months, and it was really scary. You know, you know it, I remember the first night um, sleeping in a parking lot. And uh, uh, out in the open, and just just you feel very vulnerable, and you know you can imagine that people who go into a state of homelessness and have no family or uh, friends that they can kind of couch surf or or just have temporary uh, roof over their heads that it, it's very scary. And at the time, I had no family in in, in Arizona. Um, uh, or friends, and um, but luckily there was a classmate who I had befriended, and and he lived in Phoenix, and and said, you know, why don't you come home with me? I have there's a there's a shed in the back, and you know with a sofa, <laughs> and you can stay in the shed with the sofa, and and that's what I ended up doing for uh, a couple of months was was living out of a shed with a sofa with a dog that. Uh, Early in the morning, would uh, hump my leg every. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, hello. Every morning, hello. <laughs> that was my wake up call. You don't, you don't need an alarm in that <laughs> way. That's all. But no, and 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 uh, his mother uh, would feed me, and you know that. I, so I got through that period. But it, again, it really goes to show how um, any of us can fall into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it was it was a scary time. Yeah, but I got through it. Um, you've spent a big part of your career, as we alluded to in your in your introduction, in higher education. Um, you were I read you were also um, the first person in your family to go to college. So yeah. kind of a two parter here. What drew you to the education field as a professional, but also where did you get the drive and the focus and and what was that drive to go to college and and be that first person in the family and then was there a was there something within that that drove you to education as a as a career as well so i was 
um, I always loved learning, and I was always curious. It nice. was just innate in me as a as a child. Mm. Uh, I loved to discover. You know, when I was up in the mountains of Puerto Rico, uh, you know, we were very poor. But I didn't at that point. I didn't understand poverty because, sure. uh, like, I would walk out the door of my little our little shanty, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that, um, and you would be out in the forest, and in the forest you could. Um, you know, we lived in a very agricultural part of, of Puerto Rico up in the mountains. And, you know, I, I could all day long eat bananas and oranges and uh, avocados and mangoes and mm-hmm. guavas. And so um, those are huge staples in our diet. Mm-hmm. And then, and then of course, uh, just being in the forest, discovering uh, little animals and you know, lizards and frogs and crayfish and all and and then you know we have pigs and chickens and all those kinds of things um so that that exposure mm-hmm. um uh, was always nurtured i always kind of self-nurtured that, that that part of me and when i got to new york city uh as a child of seven um i continued to to have this strong um Curiosity about things and learning, and I and it was my first time being exposed to books in a big way. So I spent a lot of time in the library, and I also hung out a lot. But in, you know, in some ways, kind of looking back, I wish I hadn't wasted so much of my time hanging out <laughs> and doing those kinds of things. But but you know, you know, I I hung out and I did some of the things I shouldn't have been doing. But at the same time, there was this other side of me that. Was, you, you know, uh, would always. It's like that little person in your in your brain or mm-hmm. your ears. Is, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, this is this is not going to work out for you over the long over the long haul. Um, you are going to, you know, where where it's going to happen for you is is, is an education. Mm-hmm. You and and so I just self nurtured that, and um, I ended up getting a out of junior high school. I ended up getting a a, a scholarship to go to. Andover High School in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, there's a program called A Better Chance, which is national in scope, which takes inner city kids and puts them in and communities that have very good schools. Mm. And in Andover, there were two. There was there's Phillips Academy, mm-hmm. and then there was Andover High School. So I ended up going to the uh, high school program. And uh, and then. Uh, at college, I started at Sarah Lawrence College in Bronxville, New York. It was it was this little college that I thought would be great for me because I wanted to be it's you know uh, in a small college environment. It didn't work out because of uh, uh, Sarah Lawrence just culturally was not a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And I dropped out, worked in New York City for a number of years in a variety of different jobs, and then in eighty uh, four. I called a friend in Boston. I says, "Look, I need to. This is at at that time. I had graduated from Motorcycle Mechanics Institute. Ah. I was a motorcycle mechanic in Staten Island fixing a BMW motorcycles. Oh wow! But I, I I said to myself, this is not going to lead me where I, I need to be. Mm-hmm. And I called a friend in Boston. I said, I I need to get back to college. And um, and he said, Why don't you come up? We'll share an apartment. And you can start taking classes at local community college, which I did." And then transferred my courses to UMass Boston, mm-hmm. and I was, so I got my three degrees from UMass Boston. But what allowed me to fall in, in love with the education was um, when I started to take classes at the local community college in Boston, 
I just fell in love with, with the community college and what they were doing for kids like myself who were first-generation college students, really trying to figure it out and, and so forth. So I, um, you know, in addition to taking courses, I got a job there. I spent uh, six years learning financial aid admissions, mm-hmm. um, counseling, and, um, and it, it was something I fell into. I was not one of those people that knew early on that I was going to be this or that. Yeah, you know, I, I had to figure it. It just I was lucky that this this landed on my laps because it it turned into a thirty three year career for me. Yeah, working at different colleges, doing different things. That's amazing. Like for example, um, in addition to working at Bunker Hill Community College, I I built uh, Emerson's International Recruitment Program. Oh wow! And I spent. Uh, five years doing that, and that, that I traveled all over the world, so mm-hmm. that was a wonderful opportunity. And then I went to Bard College in New York and built their minority recruitment program. Wow. And then I came back to Boston. Um, and then in 2007, decided to come up to New Hampshire to be president at Great Bay Community College nice. and built that campus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's a very important so, question before we go any further. Do you own a motorcycle? I've owned motorcycles all my life. How many do you have? Well, I <laughs> just just one at the moment. Just one. Yeah. What do you have? Um, I have a, a Kawasaki Vulcan 2000cc, which is a, a huge motorcycle. It's, it it's a full dresser. Okay. Yeah, it's it's got a it's, it's got a huge a transmission and an engine, and it's uh, about 900 pounds. Probably getting a little bit too heavy for me. Wow. Do um, you do your own motorcycle maintenance? I do some of it. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Like, you know, th- th- this motorcycle really doesn't require it because it's so well built. It doesn't yeah. require um, a lot of attention, but uh, I'll do the, the, the minor things. It's cool. been so long since I've worked on motorcycles that, it, and you need to have the tools. There's, yeah. There are specialty tools yeah, to, right. to do some of the work cool. that, um, yeah, I, I don't do much of that anymore. Matt, ask this man a real question. <laughs> that <laughs> well, was cool, do, but let's, go, let's not go down I a rabbit hole, right? It's fascinating. <laughs> no, um, it is, it is. So you've had a career that's really been about transitions, about helping people in a, in a moment in their life where they're in transition, whether that's been um, helping mm-hmm. s- students go into higher education, into their next career, whether now it's helping people um, get out from underneath um the, the, the oppression of homelessness. Um, but in between that, you made a, a big transition yourself. What made you want to go from a 33-year career in higher education to heading up economic development for the state yeah. and helping businesses make their transitions? What was that about? Well, there's always been a, this interesting nexus for me between education and business. And um, most of my time in higher education, I've always had an interest in, in figuring out how, how does higher education work with business mm. to allow uh, pathways into good careers and, and so on and so forth. And so I did that when I was in Boston working at the Benjamin Franklin Institute where I was there for 10 years and did a lot of alliances and collaboration with, um, for example, uh, CVS, where we built um, the only, at the time, the only uh, pharmacy tech program in Boston. Oh, wow. And then, you know, we did the same thing with the the Opticians Association in Massachusetts. We built an opticians program. And so I've always been kind of driven by that. Mm-hmm. How do we work with industry? 
Um, and when I came to New Hampshire, it was the same thing. You know, we, we took the campus, at the time, the campus was in Stratum. We moved it to Portsmouth. We built new programs. But for me, it was, well, how does, how does an institution like Great Bay Community College really align itself to the needs of industry? And um, so did that for 10 years. And then the time came, I said, okay, the college is in a good position. Awesome. Um, this is a time for me to exit and do something else. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, again, going back to my curiosity about the world, right? I am very curious about things, and and I, it, my conversations with industry really led me to think this is, you know, my next move is really to try to have some influence across the state and how we help businesses connect back to higher education, K twelve. And, and make better alignments um, mm-hmm. so that businesses are getting what they need in terms of workforce and skills and and um, students both at the K-12 level and community college and university level as well really get access to these businesses that could really help them get to that next level of whatever their career, the, they want their career to be and so forth. So, um I went to the state, and and part of my job was to build these relationships with businesses mm-hmm. and try to figure out again what what are their needs and how do we tie them back to the university system and to the community college system and right. to K twelve and that work continues and I mean there's there's a lot of conversations about uh, competency based learning mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh, how do you align um, K twelve programs to um, to businesses how do you uh, one of the things that we're talking about now is how do we open up the classroom so that it's not the old, the old way. If we think of a classroom, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a, a, a seat, a, a, what is it, a a pant, a, a butt in the chair, a butt in the seat, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, butt, yeah, in the, yeah. a exactly. butt in the seat kind of a situation. Yeah, but that it's 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 really open to different experiences for kids, mm-hmm. and that's that's what we're working on now. Nice. But um, so that. Um, for me, is how I got to become the director of Division of Economic Development. And by the way, we we did a lot around you know the pandemic hit um, during kind of my second year into the term, and we did a lot with helping businesses figure out um, how to access resources and yes. so on and so forth. And and that, by the way, was one of the things that led me to build this this uh, business alliance for people of color because mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the pandemic one of the things one of the challenges we faced was how do we um, allow underserved communities and underserved businesses uh, in this case businesses that are owned by by black indigenous people of color mm-hmm. um, access to these resources because they were being locked out I mean that's the bottom line right. and and uh, um, so it was a significant challenge at the time, and, and we said, you know, we, we need to figure out a way to create uh, organizations that uh, will be pathways of communication or conduits of communication back to underserved communities from from the state, from the federal and state and mm-hmm. um, municipal level or county level back to these back to these um, communities, and um, make sure that they have the information. Um, access to resources um, so that it, we're more inclusive and more equitable in how we distribute those resources. And that 
led to creation of this organization that I that I chair now, which is uh, which is a wonderful organization. And one of the things that we realize is that uh, you know we have these conversations about the fact that New Hampshire is not not diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, ethnically and racially, and, and I I would say that um, if you compare us to other states, that that may be, that may be true, mm-hmm. but that there is a, there is a lot of diversity here. If you start to look in in the local communities, absolutely, you will see people of color that have built businesses and are flourishing and so forth. The problem is that they are doing it in isolation hmm. a lot of times, and they're not connecting to others. Um, that may share some of the struggles they have struggled with or some of the the cultural affinities and so forth. And one of the things that um, the Business Alliance for People of Color has allowed is, is um, for this community to come together. And, and it's been just really powerful to see that happen. I wish you guys could sit in on one of our meetings because you begin to see the 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 camaraderie the the passion the the people the the sharing i mean every one of every one of them will say that you know this organization just just bringing people together is a huge plus for them because they were again doing work on their own mm-hmm. and um so we we bring a lot of resources to the table from the SBA to the SBDC to 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 financial institutions mm-hmm. and we have these conversations that's, in fact, you used your your position within the state as a springboard to really bring leaders in the state together um, to to really have more in depth discussions around diversity and equity and inclusion. Um, and, and even during the pandemic, you found a way to create I don't know if you want to say a safe space, but you know you know a place to gather even on Zoom to have those discussions. Can you talk about what prompted that and what were the type of discussions that came out of that? Yeah, I think that what prompted that was uh, similarly what prompted the the discussions around the business line for people of color was that there there were there were a lot of folks who really wanted to support uh, and learn more about the what were some of the issues that were going on in New Hampshire related to workforce diversity. Um, you know, the demonstrations that were going on at the time. And I, I think people, and still uh, happening today, but at that point, people felt like they wanted to learn and do something if they could. How does my organization learn more about this? How do I learn a, more about diversity, equity, and inclusion myself so that I can bring this back to my job and, and to my organization? And... um I just I just felt that it was needed at the time, so you know, started to gather people and 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 we met over uh, about a year or so, um, and had some really great conversations. As you said, it was a safe space. You know, we we would get on a monthly basis about sixty people, many of them leaders across the state who who came to the space to, uh, uh, like yourself, Matt. I know you you were part of those yeah. conversations. Um, and uh, so, so at, at some point when I decided to move on from the state and take this new job, I had to pause that. But um, I, I've been getting some questions as to when that's going to re- get restarted. 
Uh, so there are people out there that are looking to continue to have those conversations mm-hmm. um, in, in that kind of a space. And the great thing that has happened in the last couple of years um, is that there are many more of those types of conversations going on, both you know uh, within families, uh, at, 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 uh, um, in the business environment, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, there are other organizations that have taken on that that work as well. And and so it, I, I think we're in a different place, but um, I suppose there's there's never enough of that kind of conversation going on and and we need to continue to to um, support that because we also know that there are those who would prefer for those conversations not to happen uh, or for them to go away and that's not going to happen I mean if, if you look at the demographics in the next 20 to 25 years U.S. population will be about 400 million 200 million of those will either be Latino black or Asian Latino population will make up one quarter of the U.S. population in, in by 2050. So, and that will, you know, so little old New Hampshire who thinks maybe um, we're going to uh, stay out of that or be, you know, not impacted by that. Um, if you're one of those that thinks that way, then you better think again, because um, we are going to have much more diversity in New Hampshire in the next uh, 10 to, to 25 years. And that's a great thing. I think, you know, in, in order for us to have a vibrant economy, we need those workers in our state and we need the diversity. I, I know I can tell you that there are many young people native native to New Hampshire who have left New Hampshire because they want to have access to more diverse uh experiences. And in many cases, they feel uh, that New Hampshire is not giving them that. And so we need to keep our native young people here, and but but also bring more diversity so that they don't feel like they have to leave the state to, to have access to that diversity. There it is. <laughs> Amazing examples of leadership. And so I think what we just end on is, so what's next? You know, what's the next area of focus for you, uh, as you as you continue to lead Crossroads House and, and this new initiative around on diversity and equity? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously the work with um, DEI will continue. Um, the The main preoccupation for me over the next year or so will be focusing on homelessness issue, but 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 also connected to that housing. You know, how do we um, provide more advocacy and support for building affordable housing? Mm-hmm. And that's that's work that, that needs to continue. Um, and who knows what else? I mean, you know... <laughs> uh, uh, there may be other things that may come down the pike that that I'm interested in, um, but right now that's my focus. Well, thank you for all of your interests, all of your hard work. Um, I could probably speak for a lot of people when I say that we are very lucky to have you here in New Hampshire, uh, doing all the work that you're doing, taking care of folks, building community, um, and, and and doing it the right way. So thank you. Will Arvello is Executive Director of Crossroads House in Portsmouth, among other roles. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Nathan and Matt. Really thank appreciate you. it. And now the buzz with Matt Mowry. Queen sang it best. Regrets. I've had a few. But that's okay, according to author Daniel H. Pink in his new book, The Power of Regret. Pink says having regrets is healthy, universal, and valuable. 
We need regret to make us think more deliberately, to make us cherish that which we have, and to be kinder. And it's a way of acknowledging the things we did or didn't do and use them to grow. Instead of getting caught up in loops of if only and constantly replaying our regrets, Pink says, be honest with yourself about what was done and then practice self-compassion. Imagine all the good things you might have missed had the original decision been different. Instead of wallowing in remorse, use the lessons from your regrets to do better. And that's what we're buzzing about this week. Welcome back to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll. Professional development is, I think, a necessary benefit. Up there with insurance and paid time off. But do we as business owners and entrepreneurs actually take time away from our business, away probably in quotes, because we know we're always working, to professionally develop ourselves? Right? Professional development comes in all shapes and sizes, right? from certificate programs to taking an individual graduate level class or leadership program like the Tillotson's Community Practitioners Network or perhaps being accepted into a leadership New Hampshire class, all professional development. Don't forget, too, also, you can find amazing educational opportunities through the New Hampshire Small Business Development Center, whether that's a webinar or a self-guided e-course, those are available there, too. And as a matter of fact, most nonprofit organizations that support business, so chambers, regional development corporations, SCORE chapters, Center for Women and Enterprise, they all offer additional educational opportunities for business owners. Another one that's come onto the scene in the last few years is Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses. It's an amazing program for established yet forward-thinking and growing small business. So... This week, a reminder that the resources are out there, right? We as business owners just need to prioritize our time and realize that working on ourselves is working on our business. Thanks for joining me in the Cardinal Corner, hopefully not your only source for professional development. Find out more at our website, cardinalconsultingnh.com, or on social at cardinalconsultingnh. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard in today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business NH Magazine and Cardinal Consulting. Listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Podcasts.